Well, today, in honor of summer traveling season, we are starting a series of whatever we pick each Sunday. And so today's sermon text actually comes from one of the songs that Ashley had picked out. I was struggling with the text uh, that I was planning on using this Sunday. So uh, when she had a song that referenced uh, Second Philippians, I was, yes, that's where we're going. And so um, Philippians, if you're not familiar with it, shame on you. It's a great book. You need to read it. But it's probably many of our favorites. Because the Philippians, a letter from Paul to the church at Philippi, is different than many other letters that Paul wrote. Because we know that Paul wrote many letters to address problems within the church. You know, I always thank God for dysfunctional churches because that kind of gave us half of the New Testament on how, how to deal with the problems that we face. But Philippians is different. So to kind of put the context, um, Paul is in prison. Uh, most scholars uh, believe that he is in the prison in Rome around 60, 61 A.D., and he's writing uh, to this church. Uh, many people refer to this letter as a thank you letter. As a thank you for the gift that the Philippians had provided for him. Because prison in these days is not kind of what we think of as prison in our modern sense. Uh, but many times if you were in prison in Rome, you were on uh, house arrest. And so that, that's great. You're not having to be in the dungeons and things like that. But you pretty much couldn't leave. If you can't leave your house, you can't earn a living. So if you don't have... Uh, deep pockets and ample resources you really depend on the kindness of others and Paul the missionary basically had given up all of his worldly possessions uh, as he pursued the gospel of Christ but he opened doors for him Christ did to, to go in different areas and one of these places was Philippi and, and they they hit it off uh, you can read in the book of Acts and find how the founding of the church took place but it was a good relationship wasn't there very long but it was a a relationship that continued throughout the rest of his ministry now when I read this letter I actually read it more uh, like a love letter not not between you know uh, men and women you know these kind of things not like a mushy romantic love letter but this is like a love letter between more of a father and a child or from a mentor to a mentee kind of thing this is a relationship uh, built out of love but as more of a familiar love uh, between you know, greater, lesser, however you want to describe it. And Paul doesn't start off with saying, thank you very much for the generous gift that you have given me. You know, if you've ever read a thank you letter from a senior graduate, and we got a few of those, you'll note it's pretty to the point. Thank you for what you gave me, you know, I'm going to use it here, here, and here, and then, you know, sign their name. Those are great, and we're glad that we get those, because it shows that they generally uh, care for what was given. But this isn't the letter. This is... Uh, Several chapters long, it's deep and thought out. It begins with thanksgiving. It is described by a simple word, joy. And every page there is joy. But you have to keep in the back of your mind that as Paul's writing this, he is sitting on house arrest. Where if it doesn't go favorably for him, he faces the death penalty. This is serious. And even some of Paul's opponents in the gospel... They point out that if he was really, you know, right with God, he wouldn't be in jail right now. Kind of this ancient uh, prosperity gospel theology. But he doesn't see it that way. He sees that his current situation has opened up doors for the gospel that he would not have had had he just been on the missionary trail. Think about that for a minute. He's got access to Roman guards, centurions, 
Gentiles, non-Jewish people. The gospel is hitting the Gentile world like it never had. People are coming to faith. People that you would not have considered prime for the gospel are now coming to believe. And Paul says, what, uh, what, whatever it is about this opponents, you know, they, they preach out of selfish ambition. But does it really matter? Because they are preaching the words of grace, the gospel of Christ. People are coming to faith. He says that God will deal with them for how they live, but the gospel is being spread. People are hearing this message, even though if it comes from corrupt means, the gospel is spreading, Paul tells them. And so he goes on and he talks about how wonderful it is that he has found this relationship with Christ and how much grace has meant. But he uses uh, different words. Well, let's look at our text today. It comes from 2 Philippians, starting in verse 12. After he explains all these things about the gospel, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may, be poured, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am re- glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Joy. That is the theme of this letter. It is love. It is love in a relationship that was gathered. But it is also troubling when we read some of these words. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that make you joyous? What does he mean by fear and trembling? Are we supposed to be terrified like we were watching a horror movie? No, it's not that kind of fear. Paul's talking about a proper response to the gospel. He's talking about what he wrote in the letter to the Romans. Verse 5, through whom we receive the grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. He's talking about this obedience of faith. This proper understanding about your relationship before a holy God. For God is holy. And those who are unholy, who are unpure, who are blemished, cannot stand before a holy God. Because you will suffer justice. We don't want justice for us. We want justice for our sake, for those who wronged us. And our culture wants justice for those who inflict pain on the innocent, on the weak. But in reality, we really don't want God's justice on us. For we get what we deserve because we cannot stand before a holy and pure God. 
That's where the gospel comes in. Because Jesus' work on the cross and in the gospel, what he did for us, he took away our sins. He washed us with the blood of the Lamb so that we may stand before God holy and just. We can stand before God. We can stand before the holy. Think about that. But we should approach it not as our buddy, God, who's going to do all these favors. Listen to some country music. There's a song about having a beer with Jesus. Have you ever heard that one? It's kind of troubling, but our culture, our American culture, will tell us that there's nothing like a friend in Jesus, and that is true. But he's not your chummy buddy pal. He is your God. And there is a proper response for standing in front of God. And that is what Paul talks about with the words obedience of faith. He says, work, it, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let, let's rephrase that to words that in, in our American English language sounds a little bit better. Paul says, work out your salvation with awe and wonder. It means basically the same thing. That is how we are supposed to stand before God. We are awed that he would look on us, sinners, enemies, and love us. And in his great cosmic plan from the beginning of this world, he had planned to send Jesus to to bring us redemption. Wonder. How can he see all of these things in such a giant picture? I mean, I have hard enough time just remembering what I ate for lunch yesterday. But God can see the past, the present, the future all at one time. He can see what it was like. He can see what it will be like. And He has a plan for all of us to love Him. And He gave us the one thing He knew would damage His good creation that He made. He gave us this free will. Free will means we can choose other than Him. Because he knows that love that is coerced, that is forced, is no real love at all. Love that is freely given is genuine love. Just as Paul loves his church at Philippi. He doesn't have to love them because they are benefactors. In fact, if you read this letter, you'll realize it was almost as kind of an aside at the end of the letter that he actually thanks them for the gift that they sent. He loves them because of this relationship. God had given them the opportunity to be successful, to have these resources, to be able to share with him in his time of need. And he knew they would have done much more if they had had the opportunity. But they had been prevented for one reason or the other. And so he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is so that the God who works in you, both to will and And to work for his good pleasure. God has a plan for you. It is a good plan. But you have to open yourself up in obedience to faith. That's why Paul says, even if I am present or if I'm absent, you do these things because you know what is right. There's no substitute substitute teacher that will come in that you can just have a day off and do whatever. Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you all the time. This is how you are to live. 
You, you shouldn't act one way in my presence and another way when I'm not. Don't we do that today? When we come to church, we have this persona that we want to share. That we are good, genuine followers of Christ. That, that we believe in this Bible. That we have our quiet times and all this kind of stuff. And many in our congregation believe us. But we can be hypocrites, can't we? We can walk out these doors and live a completely different way. We may have ethics on Sunday, but when it comes to doing our taxes, do those same ethics apply? Paul says, whether I'm with you or whether I'm absent, this is how you are to live. Work out your salvation in the awe and the wonder of what Christ has done for you in light of this gospel message. And then he gets into the application. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Man, have you ever seen a church like this? That never got into arguments? Never grumbled about doing that? You can't have one mission of your church. And that, that someone begs that you come and jo join them. Help them out. Kids camps, that's one of those. It's hot down in that canyon, isn't it? It's dirty. The kids get whiny. I mean, this isn't like camp when we were younger, where we are used to being outside. We used to be in the heat, where the only rule during the summer was when that street light comes on, you better be back in the house. I love that rule. Because you could hear those mercury bulbs start humming. That means you had about five minutes to get from wherever you were into your house. But kids today, with technology, with air conditioning, they live most of their life indoors. And when we try to do something to get them outside, to get them down in that canyon where it seems like the breeze just goes right over the top, they can get whiny and troublesome. And it's not really fun some days if you are the one who signed up to be with them to share this love of Christ that you have found. But Paul reminds them, everything you do, do without grumbling. Don't complain. Don't argue. Don't dispute. It's a tough application, isn't it? Then it goes on. He, he reminds them that if you can live your life in this way, when the day of Christ comes, you will be blameless and innocent. You will be as a child of God. If you can have these relationships that way. So shine his light. The world is dark. He confesses it is crooked and it is twisted. That was in Paul's generation. How far have we come? I have TV. I watch the news. I listen to the radio. Many of us would confess that it's just gotten worse. I'm not sure if that's true. I think information spreads quicker. But I think Satan still has much control over this world as he did after Christ defeated him on that cross. But we live in a time that's in between. A time where the gospel has come and given us grace. But a time where our planet and humanity still struggles with the corruption of sin. Just look at these natural disasters. If you don't think our planet is affected by sin... You're wrong. 
Volcanoes, eruptions, earthquakes, tsunamis. These are the signs of our planet groaning for the day of redemption. They were waiting for Christ to come and make that even right. To make it to where we can live in harmony and peace with nature. As the lamb snuggles in with the lion. This is the day that we are waiting for. These are the days of paradise that we long for. But now, Paul reminds us, that we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So how are we to shine as lights? How are we to be that small little bulb in so much darkness? Simple. It says, hold fast to the words of life, to the gospel message, to the words that we find in Scripture. Hold fast to these words. It is where we find our hope because we have a promise of redemption. Those of you who have experienced the love of Christ in your own life and have the Holy Spirit working in you, whether you tamp down that spirit or not, at some point in your life, you have found this peace because it can answer in a way that our own culture, our own prosperity cannot. Just look at the events of this past week. There are those that had riches and money. But it didn't fulfill. It didn't complete them. And so we stand in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So what is it like when we can't see the end? What is it like when our future looks bleak? Imagine farmers today are getting a bit nervous. I've watched the, the weather reports. I've seen how much it's rained. It's livelihoods around here. It affects every facet of life. So what do you stand and you wait? You wait for just the rain. If it comes or if it comes the wrong time or if it comes too much, we don't know. But in that letter, in that book that Habakkuk wrote, 7th century prophet of Israel. Habakkuk standed, stood, <laughs> standed, stood in a very dark time in Judah. The Babylonians had defeated them and they had stripped their land of all their protection, of all their workers, of all their skilled artisans. They'd taken everything of value and they shipped it back to their own homeland. Habakkuk writes to those who remained, to those widows, to the fatherless, to some that did not see a future. We can read this as farmers too sometimes. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olives fail, and the yields, fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. This is the imagery of what it's like to have everything taken from you. If you have no herd, you have no future. If you have no produce on the field, you have little future. Because you probably didn't save those seeds back for the next year's harvest. You to depend on this wheat for next year. 
Not only for the harvest at hand, but for the seeds to continue on. But yet, in the midst of this, God laid on Habakkuk the prophet heart. Joy. It says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take the joy in the Lord, the God of my salvation. For he had learned a message. That God is his salvation no matter what the world will tell you. No matter what troubles you are going through, whether it looks like you have a future or not. He knew that the God that he worshipped, that he loved... The God, the Lord, is my strength, he says. He makes my feet like that of a deer. This isn't those mule deer or the whitetail that we, we hunt. These are those deer, if you ever watch the Nature Channel, that miraculously seem to hang on the side of a cliff. Rock climbers have problems getting up on those cliffs, but those things just walk and jump like it's a staircase. He sees that God has planted him. In ways that is unexplainable to the human eye. Because he believes in a God that is his salvation. This is what Paul had learned. He had learned a faith that when the outcome looks bleak. When his life hung in the balance. A faith that would endure. A faith that was better than him, than all of the traditions that he had learned, that he had mastered. Even though he was born from the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised and all this kind of pedigree. He learned a faith that surpassed it all. Because he learned in Jesus Christ. He learned that he could not work his way out of his current situation. But it was only by God's grace and God's love that he had a future. At this time he believed that he would be released and be able to return to them. He had sent Timothy and Epaphroditus who nearly lost his life in the work of the gospel ministry. He had sent them back to give him this letter. And he says, I plan to come see you. He talked about his outcome. He said, whether I live or die, if I die, it is gain because he would be with Christ. But if he lives on, if he lives on on this world, it would be better for this church because of their relationship, because of the love that they shared. But if he lives on, he knows that means that God has fruitful labor for him. It doesn't matter your situation. If you breathe air in today, if you're listening to my words, God has a plan for you. It may not be the same as when you were in your 20s or 30s or 40s. But there is a plan for you. Do you believe in the power of prayer? If the strength has left your hands and your feet no longer walk that solid path, but your brain can still think, your lips can still move, Prayer can defeat the enemy. It gives you an opportunity to see things different than others. Because those who, us, who are active, who are involved in the day-to-day -day struggles of life, we can be distracted. We can lose sight of the glory. But if, if you're like my grandma once described, if time flies but the days last forever, 
God still has a plan for you. It may be that you have an opportunity to pray for others who still have their strength so that they may see God in the presence. Because the older I get, the one thing I have learned is that you see God best in the rearview mirror. Once you stop and take the time to see how God was working in your life, that is when you can see the hand of God. But in the present, sometimes, we lose sight. But God is always with us. The grace of Christ is always with us. Paul reminds them, whether I'm with you or with not, nothing changes that love. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He says, you indeed live in a crooked and twisted generation. A generation that he believed would end in his death because they were enemies of the cross. And eventually they would be right. He gives his life for the gospel. But not before he could write this love letter. A love letter to the church that he had founded. To a relationship that had been born One that would stand the test of time. One that encourages Christians after generation and generation. That God's love was evidence in the lives of these people. Just like it can be evident in the life of the church today. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that why we stand before the throne in awe and wondering? Or fear and trembling. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are indeed thankful that you have given us this opportunity to come into your house. Lord, teach us to hold fast to the words of life, to the words of your gospel, that good news, that grace. But give us the strength to know that it is in the obedience of faith It is in the response that the gospel demands that we are to live. That we are called to be your hands and your feet here and now in our community, in the place that we were given to serve. It is in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if you have decided to follow Jesus and like to make that known publicly today, please come forward if you've been visiting and decided today will be the day that you are going to join the memberships of First Baptist Church please come forward or if you're simply in need of prayer today come forward at this time